Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. David Stern didn't invent basketball and he didn't invent the NBA, but he was largely responsible for revolutionizing both. He graciously invited us to his office in New York for a wide-ranging conversation, and it was so compelling that we couldn't fit it all into one podcast. So get ready to hear part one with the unplugged version of the most seminal commissioner in American professional sports history. Darlene, you're up! The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? Thanks, Darlene. David Stern is certainly a wise man, but his wicked sense of humor definitely did not leave me unscathed during our conversation. This show's unique because we're presenting it in two parts. This week, David and I discuss how he became the man he is, how he was influenced along the way, what he's doing now, why he uses the same tennis racket as Rafael Nadal, and he shares a story of how Adam Silver became his successor. Knicks fans will also be interested in his mindset when he suspended several of their players, including Patrick Ewing in the 1997 playoffs against Miami. Here's part one of David Stern. On the Mike Wise Show. I'm so happy to welcome to the program David J. Stern, a person I've known for, gosh, 25 years. I probably came late uh, to him in his tenure, but uh, he's not only the former NBA commissioner, but a person who I think is responsible for putting together the most progressive, inclusive league that is almost known to man. Uh, I can't, and I know it's a low bar because sometimes you have to compare yourself to the NFL no, <laughs> and I'm some not, of the other. I'm not comparing myself to anybody, no matter how. You're not going to get me today. All right. Uh, this, this is good. David Stern, at his heart, is, um, is an old New York lawyer <laughs> who refuses to lose an argument. And, um, and, and we're going to see how we we're going to see how we fare today. But basically, I want to thank you for what you did for basketball. The great Bill Walton wrote up there. The most important person in the history of basketball. I, I gave him that to write on the <laughs> You told him that. No, I didn't. No. He's a, a very effusive. Tell, tell everybody what you're doing now. I know most people know. Okay. I'm a, I'm a senior advisor to a, a venture capital firm, uh, Greycroft partners uh, to a investment bank, uh, PJT Partners, Mm -hmm. and to the NBA, and together working with John Kozner, who was a former NBA director of broadcasting 25 years ago, most recently as the exec VP of uh, digital for ESPN after 20 years there, we have a portfolio of 15 sports technology companies. 
So I'm busier than I've ever been. Startups, startups. Startups, startups. Now, this is coincidental, but do you know this is a startup sports technology digital company? Yes, I, I, I didn't or haven't thought of it that way. Uh, yeah, but, it's, uh, but it's much more than that. It's got video. It's got yes. talent. I'm not saying that you should invest in us. I'm saying that if you don't, you're missing the boat. Right. You know, there are so many investments that we're not making. and mis- We're missing so many boats that we're going to be stranded on the dock. Yeah. And that's what prudence brings you to. Well, this isn't... <clears throat> okay. this, this, I, I'm gonna... I, although I have visited with Bruce Bernstein. You have? Oh, oh yes. He's one of, the, one of the first class people in the organization. He's a great, you know, I used to kill him when he was producing the draft. I guess it was for ESPN. Yeah, he was doing it for ESPN. Yeah, I used to say, okay, if you guys don't, I'm going out to do the pick now, whether you guys are ready or not. And so he would have to, all right, speed it up. David's walking out. (laughs) He's very fine gentleman. A great guy in 20 different ways. Um, probably one of the reasons why we're talking today because you didn't like a lot of the things I write, wrote. No, actually, that's not true. No, no, I you. thought I thought you were writing to the limits of your capability. Actually, <laughs> uh, um, I always thought to get the humor stuff out of the way. I always thought that Saturday Night Live missed an opportunity. John Lovitz doing you. Yeah, that's I would consider that a, 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 a real compliment. I think he's very funny, and I, I love him. But he, you, had, you, you had the same uh, delivery. I don't, know. I don't Come think on. I had the same delivery, but that's okay. He's a, he's a great comic being. How often do you talk to Adam Silver? The, uh, your <clears throat> well, I would say we stay in regular touch. Like we're talking once a week, twice a week? I don't even want to quantify it. Okay. Sometimes twice a week and sometimes not for weeks. Yeah, it depends. Uh, he's it's his league, and he's running it. I think in a spectacular way. Have you made a conscious effort to stay out of his way publicly, uh, and and when people? Yeah, yeah, yes. I uh, not to stay out of his way publicly, but you know, I walked out of the NBA uh, on Feb one, twenty fourteen, made a right hand turn on Fifth Avenue, and came to these offices. Have you been back since? Oh, yeah. All right. I, I wasn't back the first year, but since then, you know, what, uh, what being a consultant means that if somebody dies who no one heard of, they bring me back to do a video tribute. <laughs> That's my most important uh, consulting role. But we talk, and, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of history. And we worked together for 20 years, but before that, I was at the NBA for... I guess, 15 years. So there's a lot of things that I used to say. There are, I not only know where some of the bodies are buried, and I buried some of them, but that got me in trouble once in collective bargaining, so I don't say that anymore. You actually, I remember that. Yeah. And you got in trouble for it? Well, someone somehow thought that I was threatening them. And oh, that you're going to actually take out some people because you have that kind of power. Yeah, which I didn't, never had, but that was kind of funny to me, but that's all. There's been some writers that have shown up in interesting places, I'm just saying. Yeah, like, like uh, along with Jimmy Hoffa. Right, exactly. You better be careful today. <laughs> uh, 
I don't even have to say who my guest is. Everybody knows David Stern. One of Eric Newman, the gentleman who's filming right now, uh, brought up a great point. We were talking, uh, doing a rehearsal before this came on, and he said, you know, when was the last time David Stern was asked who his mentors were? And I got to think that Larry O'Brien was one of them. But if you had to go back and, yeah, and think about who, who really say, who really made uh, you... I, I would say the three people stick out in, in sort of reverse order of uh, the timing. Larry O'Brien showed me the true meaning of the word politics. He would say, okay, what do I have to get done? Just tell me. I, I don't have to spend a fortune yeah. of time doing it. And then he began moving it. Uh, by way of example, in 1976, the owners voted after they settled the Robertson case that they would not uh, merge with the ABA. We will not merge. So Larry said, what should we be doing? He said, we should be merging, Larry. So he said, okay, let's, let's work on it. And by <laughs> September of the, that year, which was, I think, in February, we probably settled it in principle. You're a junior NBA lawyer at this yeah. point. Uh, yeah, I wasn't so junior at this point. I was actually up there. Uh, okay. Having, I was 10 years in practicing law, so I was leading the way in settling the Robertson case. But uh, Larry got it done. Uh, before that... Uh, and right there, you learned flexibility. Flexibility, but also think it out. How do you, how do you, see, politics is the mm. art of getting something done. I, I don't know what the dictionary meaning is, but that's, politics is the art of getting, accomplishing something that you want to get done. And Larry was a master at that from his days with running JFK's campaigns, you know, things like that. Mm. And so he was very, very good at that. And he taught Russ Granick and me a lot about that. Uh, before that, there was a gentleman by the name of George Gallants at the Proskauer firm where I practiced law. And George was a stickler for detail, but always had time for a good joke. And so he, uh, he kept me on a very tight leash when it came to writing and correcting and being focused on what was important. So I I still, it's the old story, I think Pascal said it, if I have more, if I had more time, this letter would be shorter. Mm. And that's what George taught about the relentless pursuit of perfection, as we used to call it. And other than that, it's my, for that, it was my dad who ran Stern's Delicatessen. And, uh, Tell people where that was. That was at 8th Avenue and 23rd Street. And uh, What did it become? I passed by it recently. I don't remember. It's become something else. Uh, although it might still be a deli. I'm not sure. It, the, the block moved, but it was an old-fashioned block. It had a barber, a shoe store, a haberdashery, a, a uh, you know, luncheonette, the florist. It was... Growing up uh, in a very simple time. What did you? What did he teach you? Well, if you had to pick one thing that he really that, that you remember about him. Well, is that uh, repetition of tasks is an important thing. We did the same thing every day. <laughs> you know, it was four o'clock. You had to mop the floor. You had to pack out the showcases. You had to uh, days of the week. You had to cook a, something that had to be cooked. It, was, it wasn't a sit-in deli. It was just a, an old-fashioned uh, 
yeah. deli that you came in and 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 it was a time I, I think I remember that a six pack of beer was you know the the specialties were like ninety nine cents for a six pack of beer for a six pack of beer uh, yeah and uh, a container of milk was nineteen cents so what, I, what are you hundred I'm dating myself yeah I am old but it's. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's fun to recollect, and that's great. And the other thing I remember is that I could never exactly please him. That's what fathers are for. So when we went from writing down the prices of things on a paper bag mm-hmm. and then adding up the column, I remember when national cash registers came in and began, uh, you know, electrifying, so to speak. The and everyone had their own letter. So each clerk was identified, and my letter was L for lazy. So I remember that, too. So They that, used to call you lazy? They never called me lazy, but that's what they said. When you, or you're L for lazy. That's all. No, I worked that hard. That must have hurt. No, it didn't. I worked hard. I remember I used to drive in from school at Rutgers and sometimes worked a night shift. Uh, they were open from 9 in the morning till 1 in the morning. So we did a lot of stuff. Saturday night later. Does your dad even like basketball? Do you remember uh, growing up? Yeah, he, well, he enjoyed it. We used to go to games at the garden, the yeah. old garden. It was fun. Yeah. And you get this job. and No, the... unfortunately, he never got the opportunity. He passed before I became commissioner. How old, was he when, how old were you when he died? I was, I have to work backwards. I think he died in 19, oh boy, he was 62. And he was born in 19... Young. And he was born in 1918. And my a heart mom, attack? Oh, he, he, a stroke, heart attack. He was, uh, you know, he pushed around for 12 years mm. after he became ill. So he taught me something there, too. He really wanted to see his grandchildren, so he kept pushing. And he, he was a great fighter. Oh, your mom must have told yeah, him that and, he'd be proud of you. Yeah, and my mom, the only time she ever initiated a call because she used to not want to bother me at the office was it came across CNN that I had just gotten a big bonus and signed a new contract. So she called, and the conversation goes on and on and on. I said, Mom, what's up? Well, it says here that X, Y, Z. I said, well, it's, don't worry, Mom. It's never as large as they say it is, but I'm comfortable. She and wanted a piece of so your money. You. No, That's she, just, she was comfortable, too. That's great. Sternus Alcatessin, as I said, it was the seat of the family empire. The what? The, the seat of the empire. The seat of the empire. Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're, you're rising up the ranks. You're seeing things uh, going on. I always thought that it's cliche now, but the NBA was too black and too drug-addled. And I look back at those times, and I don't know if that was as much reality as that's what society thought of it. And, and that well, it was almost more of a problem of society not accepting the black athlete as much as they do now. Well, but that's something. Uh, I'm very proud that our society was as we projected it would be. We got a group, a small group of us together, and we said, look, guys, we've got the best athletes in the world playing the most exciting game, and we're going to keep saying it until it comes true. And uh, we said it and said it and said it. I was the 24th employee of the NBA, believe it or not. And so I had the opportunity to hire some of the best people in sports in the various functions that they performed, and it was great. And, and 
yes, people said that because our players averaged $250,000, they were making so much money. That's why <laughs> they took drugs because, you you know, and then they had af- afros uh, were the, yeah. the day and then came the tattoos, et cetera. But it was kind of interesting. People would say, well, what do you think about these gold chains and all these things like that, Stern? I said, you mean the elderly Jewish men in Miami, or you know, what are you talking about? <laughs> so you, know, you have, to, if you didn't have a sense of humor, you couldn't yeah. get through it because we were pounded. We were really pounded. There was a push and pull, I think, uh, about, and it's still going on in some ways, but I think most of it has been eliminated over time. Is you know, how. How authentic is someone allowed to be? And I remember this, um, and I'll use two real quick examples. One was there was a time when, you know, either Michigan or somebody else ushered in the era of shorts that looked like tents, and they, they were down your knees. And, and you put in a rule that you, you, people were measuring shorts in the locker room. And everybody at the time was like, David Stern's turning into a, a, a dictator. And, and, and he's not no. letting uh, especially African-American players be who they are. And then let me give you the, uh, the, the contradiction here and the, and the thing that would turn it around. Your own Hoop magazine, the in-house magazine, has a cover story of Allen Iverson and Allen Iverson is tatted up, and he got someone airbrushed their, his yeah. tattoos, and you were furious. You thought that Allen Iverson should be portrayed as he is, right? And so, where could you talk about that push and no, pull I, as I a think... commissioner, and how you don't want to alienate your customer base, but you also want to let these people be who they are, irrespective of white, black, whatever? No one ever asked me about that, and I was crazed on the subject of Allen Iverson's. Tattoos being, uh, it wasn't inauthentic. There's a, yeah. a tattoos being, you know, so called whited out, so to speak. Yeah, uh, that was terrible. Um, did you did you fire the guy or did you no, just tell him it was no, to reprimand him? No, no. We say we're gonna, you got to keep at it until you get it right. That was the penalty, was to uh, suffer me for a longer period of time. But <laughs> but actually. I, I don't find those to be at opposite ends of the spectrum, actually. You need certain rules. It's the obligation of the commissioner yeah. to have rules. Uh, you know, we don't let players play in long pants. They have to wear what's prescribed. And so we be, you know, and, and when we began sort of shortening the shorts, so to speak, they ordered bigger sizes it was a game that was being yeah. played, and uh, you know, I, it just looked silly to me as it happened. I don't think you had to be in John Stockton short shorts. That's a name that h- half of your listeners won't remember, <laughs> uh, which is tragic. Uh, he <laughs> Do was. Do you think uh, Stock- people remember Stockton? Well, Stockton but, and Malone. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't know how long ago did he retire. Well, I could, it might have been the uh, very end of the night. Maybe it was, it was early 2000s. All right, so it could be 19 years ago. Right, and you could 15. be, right. Okay, so yeah. if you were 10 years old, yeah. now you're 25. You know, Julius who? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, Oscar that, who? But that's what happens. Uh, well, yeah. that's why I love to see RWB, Russell Westbrook, being lauded for his triple-doubles. 
because it enables people to be informed that Oscar did it for a whole year. <laughs> Which is still crazy. Which is crazy. Yeah. And uh, that's how good he was. And, you know, uh, even as it relates to Wilt or Bill Russell, everyone says to me, well, what do you think, LeBron or Michael? And I say, Bill Russell. <laughs> he has 11 rings, and one of those guys has six, and one has five. You tell me. I'm taking. I'm taking LeBron in a game of one-on-one. Okay. I'm I mean, take, I take Russell. Well, Russell now, yeah. I mean, Russell now. I don't think he could beat Russell at the time. That's what I mean. I, we well, can't I'm not compare asking those an days. 85-year-old man to play a 35-year-old man. I think man. he could block a couple shots at well, 85. He probably could, but that's a different issue. <laughs> That's a different issue. Uh, Whether he takes the fake or not is the question. I don't think he does. He's still he's still pretty sharp. I think sharp. that's right. I, I'm talking about Russell at his prime. In fairness, and yeah, he was a great player. Uh, it's the the evolution of the game is crazy. I just look. I think it's ridiculous things like if you took the old Chuck Taylors and threw them out and gave those players the shoes they have today. I mean, it's like Tiger with the golf equipment that he has today. Well, or, or Rafa with his Babolat racket, which is cheating, really. I don't mean it in a serious way, but right. it's, it's, I use it now. I've yeah, just, if he was using the old Stan, left, Stan uh Well, it was the Smith. Kramer Wilson or it was the Dunlop. I, I just switched out uh, my... Uh, my uh, Wilson that Roger uses to for the Babolat that uh, Rafa uses, and it has increased the depth of my shot without me changing a thing. So it's really interesting to to see. And one of my the tennis pro at my club says that you know that's cheating using a Babolat. I said, okay, let me in on it. I'm ready. You st- you still play tennis regularly? I, well, I I'm back at it. I had four years off because I had a knee replacement, a partial knee replacement, and a hip replacement. So uh, I'm now bionic, and I'm back on the court. Did you do all this after you were commissioner, the yes, surgeries? Yes, yes, I feel like you put them off for a long time. Well, yes. The uh, uh, In fact, what happens, and your listeners should understand this, if you have a very bad knee, which I had for a long time, it didn't stop me from skiing, from hiking, from biking, walking, etc., yeah. but it did cause the opposite hip to go because I was favoring my right leg because it knocked off my left hip. And so then I had to have the hip replacement first, and then I had a partial knee on the left knee, and then I had the f- a full replacement on the right knee. So go no. You go under any of that, and some of your contemporaries have passed. Your father passed at 62. Has any of that put you in touch with your own mortality a little bit? Uh, I'm a great at denial. <laughs> I don't even think about it. Really? No. So you don't think about, like, any <laughs> well, your last years or, or what you want to do before you uh, no, leave I, the earth? No, I want to be bus- I want to be busily engaged, and that's it. That's what I want to be doing. Whatever it is, it doesn't I'm sound like in. you have any time for vacation. No, I always made time for vacation. We have a ski house in Colorado. I no longer ski, but my wife still skis, and uh, you know we spend time in in the Aspen area. Um, 
in Christmas and maybe February. I used to gauge it with the events of the season. So we would go there in Christmas when things were a little quiet. We'd go there right after the All-Star game in February. And then we would go for a, a couple of weeks in September. And so or maybe July and September. So, And we still do that. The sirens Except in the we've extended our stays and we don't feel the same pressure to get home. The sirens in the back, of course, are... Um we're not doing a podcast. It's an intervention. We think you need to be taken away today. Okay, that's fine. I'll, it's I'll over. go. I'll go. Does that mean I don't have to work the rest of the week? <laughs> I'll play amateur psychologist for a sec. The, the stuff you said about your mom and your dad, I think it's uh, I think a lot of the reason why you don't take it easy is because you feel like they'd be yelling at you well, from they, somewhere. They, uh, they, like I almost, if I had no. your kind of career and your kind of uh, income, I don't know if I would spend a whole lot of time in a law office. Well, first of all, I'm not in a law office. Well, okay, so a, a global advisors buying DJS startups. Global advisors. Okay. You know, it's not... Uh, and do what? You know, should I, I don't know. I'll, fish? I'll, I'll uh, drive play tennis? Uh, you can only fish Watch so basketball? Much. Well, I love to watch basketball. That's not, that's not difficult. <laughs> You know, I have a Dolby surround sound oversized screen that comes down from the ceiling. And uh, usually, the first 10 years where I had it, I would bring people into the room to show them what I had. I'd bring it down, show it off, then put it back up and walk into the other room. But but now I actually go there and watch basketball games on it. It's fun stuff. The marketing of the NBA to me is somewhat natural and it's somewhat seamless because of the players that came uh players that made people better everybody talks about larry and magic and what they were individually but to me that they embody giving yourself to the good of the group more than anybody that i'd seen play the game they as good as they were they they found their teammates they at no point were you going up and down the court thinking that you may not get the ball because you uh, you're in the presence of a great player. Like no, these guys. Mm. If they thought that was the better play, they would do it. That was the natural part of the marketing. Go ahead. I, I, I was going to get to you no, and what you did. No, for that's it. exactly right. I think that, that it's a cliche, but it's true, and many cliches are that if you the greatest players make the ones around them better, and as a team they achieve great results. So. You know, watching magic on the wing, smiling as he goes behind his back to give someone to give it to someone who's going in for a quick layup, or Larry taking a step back to see whether he should shoot it or someone else should. Uh, you know, it was great, great fun. And if you ask me what the most, what the thing is that I'm most proud of is that the players of the NBA, when I first got involved, were like in the basement of the celebrity pyramid. Oh. And now they're at the tippy tippy top. If they would have showed up at games, their own games, people wouldn't have known some of them. Yeah. And so now and so now they're very well known and they speak out and they do all kinds of interesting things and they are as a group very charitably inclined. Well, so I, we we really uh, I, I really enjoy watching them. And I actually enjoy watching Adam, my successor, which I think is a is a complete blessing for 
for a retired so-called CEO. Yeah. Because I'm watching someone who worked with me for 20 years in five different jobs, uh, all reporting to me. And people think oh, you that liked that, didn't you? You the, liked the power. No, I didn't like the power. I, I guess I enjoyed the outcome because all of my colleagues were so talented, and and actually people think that it was Dr. King who said free at last. It was actually Adam <laughs> because he was free at last, and I'm having a ball watching. Free at last when you when, when you when left I, when I turned over the keys after 30 uh, years. Uh. Actually, in some ways, both of us were free. You were free from the madness, yeah. and he was, and he was free to become who Adam Silver was always supposed and, to be. And he's doing a great job. The, before I get to the marketing thing, you put me on something that I need to get to. Now comes the meat of the interview. Now that I've softened you up with all the family no, stuff, this no, is the hard stuff. No, I'm, some of it I'm not going to answer. So go I ahead. understand that. I understand that. But you will be gotten before this is over. You know that, don't you? No. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying. Can you guys hear him okay, by the way? Because he's I'm okay. fine. All I right. have a, two mics. I'm all right, doing all right, okay. great. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't know how to say this, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. You don't have the intellectual acuity to catch me. Yeah, this is I'm gonna sadly, be very nice to you. Sadly, the commissioner is right. Okay. I'm <laughs> sadly, the commissioner is right. There's no friend like an old friend. Go yeah, ahead. Ask uh, the question. So, uh, I... Uh, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to get speechless, to the, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it was like a standing eight count. The um, the time when uh, when was um, when you first hired Adam? What was he doing? He was an attorney at a leading New York law firm, looking about looking at his career options, and okay. he came to talk to me because he was about, he was a litigator and he was about at Cravath, Swain and Moore, one of the yeah. firms in New York. He was about to consider going to the U.S. Attorney's Office. That was a career path that is not unusual. Yeah. You go to the U.S. Attorney's Office for a couple of years as an assistant U.S. Attorney, then return and become a career litigator. And I said, if you're prepared to... Uh, to work that cheaply, you should come to work with me, and you'll be my special assistant. So Adam started as my special assistant, then he became the chief of staff, then he became senior vice president of something. And then you put him into, and then he was the president of NBA Entertainment. President of NBA Entertainment, then deputy commissioner. Yeah. And the only thing wrong with all of those five is that they reported to me. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he really, very, well, you learned at your, it was fun. you learned at your knee. And it he, is, he, it is so rewarding to have a in-house successor who is known to everybody and knows yeah. everybody. So it was a, it's a, it was a seamless, seamless transition and we had yeah. a great time doing it. Was there, um, Russ Granick was obviously deputy commissioner for a long time. He was not only a person, not only a personal friend, but somebody that was as loyal to you as anybody. How hard was it, or was it just something that you saw coming? How hard was it to um, not pluck Russ for the job after what he'd done after Adam? Like, was that was that a was that a personal no, angst, no, or did you just know Russ had stepped down before? Uh, but he but he wanted that job. 
I assume that I thought he was, you know, we used to joke about it. He would do it, feed me all kinds of things that would increase my cholesterol, but it <laughs> wasn't successful. He was trying to knock you and off. At some point, he decided that he had had a good run, he enjoyed his life, and he was going to play more golf. So there wasn't a moment when you had a conversation with him and said, I really think the way the league is going and with, with what... I, how I see the future transpiring that Adam would be the better no, choice? Oh, or no, there was not. never that. No, never, never that. that. Okay. No, 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 no. It was, uh, I mean, Russ stepped down a number of years before because Adam became deputy commissioner, sure. which Russ was. And if I had stepped down years earlier, I would have heartily recommended Russ for the job. So you basically took Russ's tenure by yourself. No, okay. not really, because actually, you know, everyone else stepped up. Joel Litvin was there, Rick Buchanan, Bill Coney, right. uh, you know, not to mention Jeff others. Mishkin. Jeff Mishkin. As we've come on, I was blessed with a string of very talented people who could yeah. do the job completely. Gary Bettman was That's doing right. the job, and he's now had a wonderful career leading the NHL. He was a general counsel for 12 years. So. You may be the only commissioner that hasn't been booed, by the way. No, I've been booed. Have you? Have you ever been to a good draft? Oh, that's true. In Brooklyn? Yeah, my that's God, true. It's yeah, great. That's true. I think it's great. I usually hold my hand up to my ear so they can yeah. get louder. So, so when you marketed the NBA, I mean, and Eric was sending me these commercials. I looked a couple of them on YouTube, and I know you approved all of them. You got people involved um, that... I'm trying to think of the guy who did all the early NBA entertainment stuff. But Paul the NBA, Gilbert. Paul Gilbert. NBA is fantastic. Right. We're still in touch, Paul and I. That's, uh, that, that, that was a, to me, beyond Bird Magic, that was a moment when those commercials started coming out. The NBA is fantastic. Well, and not, that, to me, was the, you talk about a seed of an empire. Yeah. That, to me, led to NBA entertainment. That, to me, led to... Right going overseas and selling a brand that nobody thought anybody would buy because it's a soccer-infused world? Well, I think that um, actually to this day, the principle behind all of our marketing, I think, is that the game is great. Use it. Yeah. And NBA action, it's fantastic. You know, we used to have the 1812 Overture Underneath, laid out, and the uh, <laughs> making these these bombs. You know, uh, I was going to say three point shots, but that was probably before there was a three point shot at some point. And uh, uh, the action spoke for itself. Yeah. Whether it was the action on the court, the excellence of the players, or the fan reactions, we would always do that. And uh, and then I prematurely moved on to I love this game. Even though it was an effective campaign, cabbies would still stop, see me in the street and say, it's fantastic. Cabbies would stop in New York and see you in the street and say, it's fantastic. fantastic. That's exactly right. That's a, that's a legacy right there. You talk about like giving your players Q ratings. No, they still stop and they say, what are you going to do about the Knicks? <laughs> and I say, hey, that, talk to Adam. It's not yeah. my job. I, this year I said it's going to be great. At one point, someone stops me and I said, oh, don't worry, next year the Knicks are going to get Zion in the draft. They're going to sign KD and they're going to sign Kyrie. 
They said, really? I said, how the heck would I know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I long, we'll go, at the very end here, I want to get into the, uh, the ridiculous conspiracy theories over the years and get your, your, your quick lightning round answers on them. But I knew that David Stern was not out to punish the rest of small market um, NBA world when, when the Knicks actually left the bench and they were all suspended. If there was ever a time when you wanted the Knicks to get in the finals, that would have been it. And you went by the letter of the law. That's what you have to do. And Otherwise, the had, rule is meaningless. Yeah. And so when I thought that moment, I go, if there was a chance to get the Knicks in the finals, I thought they could have beat the Bulls that year. Um, but what do I, I know? I was covering what I, what I What I was forced to say was it was an IQ test. It was an IQ test. If you leave the bench... You get suspended. Now, what part of that don't you understand? Right. If you only go to midcourt, Patrick Ewing, you're still suspended. Yeah, that's exactly Yeah, right. no, that was, uh, it's, that's a heart-rendering. Jeff Van still kicks himself for not holding those guys back. Um, when you've seen the photo, you, all he could do is grab their leg. doesn't stop anything. Right. While one of the iconic images of the Knicks-Heat rivalry in the late 1990s was Jeff Van Gundy hanging on to Alonzo Mourning's leg like a chihuahua, A year later, Van Gundy had the Knicks in the NBA Finals where they lost to San Antonio. Next week, in part two of our David Stern podcast, we'll take a deep dive into the recent controversy involving the NBA and the Chinese government. In this preview, David talks about when the NBA began its relationship with fans in China and how the spread of the game around the world reached the young kid in Argentina who became a future Hall of Famer. What year did you actually go into business, I guess, with China? Well... We went to, into business in China, not with China, in 19, around, nine, you know, it gets pegged at different years, but I yeah. think it was 90 when we, years before Abe Poland had taken the bullets to China, mm-hmm. to, uh, or maybe even Larry Fleischer, the head of the union, had taken a, a pickup team to play in China. But, but in 1990 or thereabouts, we gave CCTV, China Central Television, v- tapes of our games to play on uh, yeah. Chinese television. So I'll put it at or about 1990, and we, uh, we uh, told them we'd split the advertising revenue f- with them, and I sent them checks even though we couldn't sell anything. Just because, because you knew that the exposure was, was enough. Good. That's the way. If you can get yeah. people following your game and your stars on television, you can do it. Oh, again. my favorite story is the guy from then, uh, I'm sorry, Argentina. Uh, you know him, Adrian. He walks into your office and he says, uh, um, I wanted to put tapes of the NBA on in Argentina. And I know that people won't watch them because it's we are love Maradona and soccer. And But this is... And you sold them the rights to these tapes for $1,000. Did we get that much? Yeah, you got $1,000. And this guy starts showing these tapes, and then I'm, I'm at the finals, and he's telling me the story, and Manu Ginobili looks at me, and he goes, yeah, and because Adrian put those, those, those videos on, I didn't want to be the next Maradona. I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. And he had a poster of Michael Jordan above his bed mm. as a boy. And, and that's, you know, that to a- me is the NBA a- right a- there. A- The international growth of the NBA was David Stern's vision, and despite the recent controversy with China, the sport continues to generate interest around the globe. Next week, David will not only give his take on the controversy, he'll also discuss what the late, great Nelson Mandela told him about the importance of basketball to society. 
And that's just a taste of what you'll hear. Thanks to our Pure Hoops crew for all their help in creating this show. Producer Bruce Bernstein, editor Ben Wolfen, and Eric Newman. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt, which drops each Thursday. The Pure Hoops podcast with B.J. Armstrong and the aforementioned Eric Newman every Friday. And Catch and Shoot each Wednesday. Please subscribe, rate, and review all of them. But most of all, enjoy. And remember, next Monday, part two of David Stern on The Mike Wise Show. Aloha. The Mike Wise Show used to be called The Wise Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.